Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. Here's Mark Sheldrick with the podcast series, Ignite Your Passion for God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unlocking the Truth podcast. Mark Sheldrake here with you, National Director of Preset Ministries here in Canada. So excited to be with you again, recording in the studio at 61 Sherwood Drive in Brantford. Uh, It's been a while since we've recorded here, but uh, so good to be back. We have completed the podcast series on Daniel. We're now into Ignite Your Passion for God, uh, six episodes Uh, learning how we can reignite our faith in the things of God. All right, so uh, where we're headed, I want to uh, look at um, Beyond Ignite, Your Passion for God, which will take us into the new year. Currently recording a series on the book of Philippians. So look forward to that coming down the line um, sometime in the new year. We are going to be looking at how to have joy uh, through Philippians. And let me tell you, this world that we are living in right now, we need joy. We need need joy, folks. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Philippians. How can we have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficult times? Uh, And I cannot wait for you to um, participate and study with us. Uh, through Philippians. So we're four weeks into recording that. Uh, It'll be a total of nine episodes on Philippians coming up in the new year, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Let me give you a little bit of review where we came from from the previous episode of the Ignite series, which was week one, just introducing the whole topic of apathy or spiritual apathy defining spiritual apathy, and then laying out seven signs that might show you that you are apathetic, uh, five reasons that there is apathy in the world, and then five ways to ignite your passion. All right, so here, quick review through those things in case uh, it's been a couple weeks since you heard episode one. All right, apathy is the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. It's really a dullness of heart, and it affects the way you look at life. All right, so this is very important for us, especially in the midst of all that we're going through uh, with this pandemic, this never-ending pandemic uh, that we are in. Uh, Seven signs that you are facing or you are dealing with apathy. Uh, You have a decreasing interest in God and the things that are of God. You have a lack of interest in the word of God. You have a reluctance to not get together with believers. You are um, finding multiple reasons to miss church, Bible study, or prayer. Uh, You are singing hymns and choruses at church, maybe online through your TV, but they're just empty rote words that are not coming back to coming back or through your heart with any meaning. Uh, you grumble or complain about church on a regular basis. That is the focus of, of your conversations. And then the last one is that you turn to quick fix things, maybe self-help books to solve problems versus heading to the Word of God. 
five reasons that we can be apathetic. One is uh, affluence, all right, so we have everything we need. I don't need any help from anybody else. Sin and pride are another one. We looked at Solomon and the pride that he had. And then we have priorities, you know, the things that are building my relationship with Jesus Christ, reading the word, praying, worship, service, and the um, suffering or putting ourselves out there for the gospel are not high on my priority list. Trials, so any persecution or suffering that you may go through may present uh, apathy for you. So it might draw you away from the, the wonderful presence and glory of God and become apathetic to the things of the Lord. Uh, and then finally, that you forget the end game. You forget what the reward is at the end of the race that you run. We are working towards eternity. Uh, five ways to ignite your passion for God. These are what we're going to be breaking down over the next number of weeks, all right? Five ways. First is remove sin. Two is to fall in love with God's word. Three, surround yourself with believers. Four, develop a strong prayer life. And five, sell it all, get rid of everything, and focus on God. Learning what we have to sacrifice in our lives, our own desires, our own passions, to have a greater love and passion for God. This week, we are going to specifically look at two things. We are going to look at uh, a story within the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 34, and we are going to key in on three words in that passage that are going to help us uh, have a better understanding of what we need to do to ignite our passion for God. Looking forward to digging into this with you. Uh, so hang in there with us and let's pray and uh, we'll get started. Father, we do thank you for all that you uh, do in our lives. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that as we walk through uh, the passage today, that as we discuss how to become less apathetic and more passionate about you, that we would see through these three words a clear path uh, how we can bring correction in our life. So I pray, Lord, for all those who are listening today, those who who may not realize that they are struggling to, to ignite their passion and desire for you, but also for those who uh, are walking in that path where they, where they really uh, are on fire for the Lord, that there would still be things in this that we could learn uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring transformation to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the greatest Bible stories that I ever heard was the very first time I ever went down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I sat in a men's conference, and uh, I was with the, the former national director before he retired, and his son, and a couple other guys. We drove uh, through to Tennessee to the head office of Precept, and uh, we were going down for this men's conference, and we drove all night long. And uh, we were planning to drive halfway and then stay in a hotel and then make the rest of the trip the next day because the conference didn't start till 7 p.m. 
on the Friday night. We left at thurs on Thursday at 5 p.m. when we were all done work. And I think somebody was just waiting uh, for the suggestion of, hey, we should drive all night. And one of those people that was waiting for the, hey, we should drive all night, was Tom Hart. He did not want to stop halfway through and pay for the hotel and, and have all of that. He just wanted to go there and get there. Well, let me tell you, we did it. And I will never forget this because I drove down with these guys. I had just met them, and I was sick as a dog. This is like, you know, pre-COVID when you had a cold and you went. I mean, I, I remember just barely surviving on Hall's cough candy to get down there. We got there at 7 in the morning. And I'll never forget that because we were looking for a place to sleep because we drove all night and we couldn't find one. And then finally we were able to, to uh, get our residence at Precept and rest. But that Friday night, uh, Bob Vereen, one of the authors and teachers of Precept, he walked me through the same passage that we're going to walk through today. And that was the moment... That moment right there in that Friday night conference, I said, even as I had pastored for a number of years prior, I said, how in the world did he do what he just did in the text? How did he walk us through those verses, give us a better understanding the way he did? And I was so convicted. I sat there and I was like, I have been preaching the word for years in my church, but I have not handled the scripture the way that this man handled the scriptures, and I wanted to know how I could um, learn from him, one, but two, also handle God's word in a way that I would be able to present it to others, and the first thing that Bob told me was that he had a real love and passion not for just teaching God's word, but for God's word. And so one of the first things we need to look at is our relationship to the word of God. And we're going to walk through uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and we are going to look at what happens in the life of one king, in which is one of the great revivals, in the history of Judah. All right, so if you have your Bible or if you're driving or, you know, don't look at your phone or anything like that, you, you can go back and write notes later or make any information, put down any information uh, if you can. Okay, so no distracted driving if you are listening in your car. Okay, here's where we're going to start. The first uh, thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the history and the context of what's happening in Judah. All right, so verse 1 of chapter 34, uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. All right, so Josiah at eight years old became king. Josiah was an interesting uh, king, first of all, because uh, of the line that came before him. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh, 
And Manasseh was described as one who led Judah further away from the presence of God into idol worship. Uh, He did evil in the sight of the Lord. But near the end of his life, he started to have a turnaround and come back to uh, God. And so he was starting to make some some inroads and, and had a prayer of repentance and forgiveness near the end of his life, and then he died. His son, Amon, took over and became the king of Judah. Now, Amon, uh, who was Josiah's father, did worse than Manasseh. He was one of the worst kings in Judah. And so Josiah was raised up in this kingdom with a father who did not worship God, uh, who did not follow in the ways of God, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Amon died, and when he died, Josiah was the next in line to rule, but he was only eight. Eight years old is when he became the king. Now, obviously, there was uh, what we would call co-rule at that time because Josiah was too young to make decisions for the whole kingdom. And so somebody would be with him and in a co-rule position where they would run the kingdom, but he carried the title. All right, so here's what we're going to find out as we walk through. We're going to look at this pivotal moment in the history of Judah and Jerusalem under the leadership of Josiah. So uh, he reigned 31 years, and then verse 2 tells us he did right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So then it says in verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, All right, so 16 years old, Josiah is still reigning as king, but he's a teenager, all right? Think about a lot of the teenagers. I mean, I worked in youth ministry for a number of years, and even some of the youth that I worked at with, when they were 16, they too began to search out and seek the Lord. And it tells us that Josiah, at 16, began to seek the God of his father, David, And so what was going on in the life and times of Judah and Jerusalem was that there was a prophet who was speaking at that time by the name of Zephaniah. And Zephaniah was preaching repentance or face judgment for sin. You see, Amon and Manasseh and other kings led the Israelites and the people of Judah astray and into idol worship. And so God obviously... Because that is the place where his temple was. This is the home of God, right? He had his presence in the temple. That those people were to worship God and God only. Exodus tells us that there should be no other idols uh, before God. No, None of them should be created or made or formed or fashioned. And that all worship and glory is to go to God. Why? Because he is a jealous God. So Zephaniah was preaching a message of repentance or judgment is coming. Well, the message of Zephaniah, this gets back to Josiah. And Josiah begins to seek 
the Lord. All right, so this is the first of the three key words that we want to look at. One of the ways that we are going to ignite our passion and our fire for anything of God, all right, to, to smash down the walls of apathy, we first must seek the word or seek God. All right, now how do we do this? All right, so how do we seek God? Well, for you and I in the day that we are living, we have this book. And this book is filled with 66 chapters, 66 books. And in the 66 books that we are comprised of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are going to meet God. So what we must do is we must go to the word of God to seek out God. So we, we have in this world, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, there are other episodes. You can go back and you can look at the doctrine of the word of God. So you can go back and see uh, how important it is to understand that every word within the book of Scripture is God-breathed. The Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And there is profit in the book for, you know, building up and teaching and reproof and correction. So these are the words of God. How many people in the world that we are living in right now so desire to hear the voice of God? I want to know what my will, what God's will is for my life. I want to know what the direction is that I need to take. I want to know and I want to hear from God. And so we create all of these different these different ways to try and to try and get into a position where we can uh, meet God. It's very interesting that one of the uh, founders of the Mormon Church, uh, he climbed up onto a mountain to separate himself and to be in a place of quiet to hear from God. Nothing wrong with going to a secluded place to to hear from God, but take your Bible with you. Why? Because God primarily speaks through his word. And so if we want to hear the voice of God in our lives, we're going to hear it through the 66 books of the Bible. All right, so the first and foremost is if we're going to destroy apathy, we need to seek God. And that means we have to ask ourselves, what is our relationship with God's word? All right, because if I do not have a relationship with God's word, in meaning I don't read it, I don't study it, I don't take time to be in it, I only take the pastor's opinion on Sunday, and that's it. Now pause. There's nothing wrong with listening to sermons and hearing what the pastor's view is of the word of God. That is, if your pastor is preaching the um, unapologetic word of God. All right? If they are preaching what God's word says and the truth of God's word, then you are going to hear from God's word. But there is nothing greater for you as a believer to be in God's word for yourself. All right? And here's why. 
because sometimes you can hear and listen to speakers when they're talking to you, even listening to podcasts like this, where you're given their opinion or their view of what they see in the scripture. And how do you know whether that's right or not if you don't understand or how to engage with the plumb line, right? So if God's word is the plumb line, if that's the straight line of truth that we know that in the book of Titus and in the book of Hebrew, uh, it says that God cannot lie. So that every word within the, within the text here, if it's God's very voice, it is true. There's not a lie within it. So all of the promises that God has for us in these 66 books, they are true. And so if we hold to that line and understand that line and we know God's word for ourselves, when we hear others speak about God's word, we can raise red flags when we know there is something that is not true. While I was going through the Daniel series, we had an experience within the church that I was with that the, one of the people was teaching something that was outside of God's word. And you know what happened? The people who knew God's word, they raised a red flag and said, that's not right, and we need to do something about it. And they stood in the gap and said, that teaching is not doctrinally correct. We need to do something about it. And what happened in that brought about correction in the one who was teaching it. You see, this is the foundation. Okay, the foundation of igniting your passion for God is his word. If you're not in it, it's impossible to find that passion and desire. You can have an emotion that triggers this happiness and joy. Like you can go to a conference or you can listen to worship songs on, you know, streaming that might pump you up and make you feel good in the temporary. But then when life circumstances start to, to press in on either side of you as you go and you're not clinging to God's word, all of that is just momentary joy that doesn't last. It's, it's a momentary passion that is soon forgotten because you're not connected to the word of God. You, at the foundation, Jesus is the cornerstone. By the way, John chapter 1, he is the word. So do you see, we have to be connected to God's word, and we have to be connected to these books, and we have to be connected to Jesus to have any passion flow through our body. So ask yourself, or, you know, look to others who, who maybe aren't listening to this yet, and you want to share it with them. What is their relationship to the word of God? Because if they tell you they don't spend any time in the word of God throughout the week, and this is not a legalistic thing that you need to read your Bible 15 minutes a day. You see, if you're truly passionate about God, and you're truly excited about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know that God speaks through his word, you want to be in it every day because you want to be in discussion with Jesus. You want to hear from God the Father and Jesus the Son through his word. This is what excites me most as a trainer and a teacher for precept is when people come to our workshops and they start to see how to use the inductive Bible study method of observation, interpretation, and application. 
And when they start to really, truly reason out the text, we have what we call these light bulb moments. The light comes on and people are so overjoyed and excited about what they're seeing, you can see it in their faces. This, this passage here did that for me when I was in Chattanooga. It just opened my eyes and it made me realize that one of the greatest problems that I had in my own life as a pastor was that I was looking into God's word, not to hear God's word for myself, but what message I could bring to my congregation. I was missing a step, and that step was that I needed to be seeking God for my own life and let the outpouring of that be in my messages. This is one of the reasons that I struggled uh, deeply with apathy. That when I was preaching and I was studying, I was not studying for me. I was studying for you, those sitting in the pew. And I was hoping that God, God's word was going to change their lives when I wasn't allowing it to change mine, break down the walls of apathy that I had. I looked at the Bible as a textbook as this tool that I had used for school for so many years and a uh, good understanding of it and what literature is this and, you know, the gr Greek word this, Hebrew word that, and all of this stuff, but I was forgetting that I was encountering God within the passage. I was missing that. And so it became route practice for me to to be in the word of God each week for the purpose of giving a sermon to somebody else and not even listening to it on my own. So what is your relationship with God? This is the first thing to ask. I mean, folks, we haven't even got out of verse 3. <laughs> verse 3 of, of many verses in Second Chronicles chapter 34. We're not even out of seek God because that's the most important part. Where do you seek him in his word? All right. So point, point one, if you're following the, the model of the Baptist three-point sermon. By the way, I was a Baptist preacher for 18 years. All right. So first and foremost, point number one, seek God. Uh, Deuteronomy, seek the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, everything. Seek God with everything. All right, so this is, this is very important for us to understand that Josiah, one of the first things he did when 16, when he was hearing about the message of Zephaniah, is he began to seek God, find out more about this message. Here's what else he did in verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek God, the father of David, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. All right, so this is very important. All right, we're going we're gonna to walk through a number of verses here to see uh, what Josiah did. But listen, he sought God in his word, and he realized through this that what was happening in Judah and Jerusalem was against the word of God. This was contradictory to what God 
said about idols. There should be no idols crafted, formed, fashioned, or made. Nothing representing anything on the earth or above the earth. Because God is a jealous God and deserves all of the worship. So, so Josiah started to seek God and heard the message through Zephaniah that you needed to repent or face judgment. And when Josiah became, was 20 years old, he no longer had a co-ruler with him. At 20, he was old enough now to run the kingdom on his own. And so think about this, through this time, that through the four years that he was seeking God, at 20, he began to purge the land of idols. This is the next key word. The next key word in igniting our passion and our love for God is to purge. All right, uh, the idea of purge is really just to get rid of, to throw it out, to, to not have it anymore. Uh, in previous podcasts, I re- I've referred to this as a garbage day. All right, so I'll explain to you, for those of you who are new to the podcast, what I mean by garbage day. Well, garbage day, and I don't know, maybe it's the same at your house as it is my house, but that's the, that's the role of my kids. They go around the house, and they grab all the garbage, and they empty it all into one bag, and then I take the garbage can out to the curb on Mondays before I come to the office, and then that's it. I'll leave it there, and then some guy in a really big stinky truck drives by my house, and he grabs that can, and he throws everything that's in that can into the truck, and this arm comes down and crushes all the garbage and moves it way into the back of the truck so they can put more garbage into it. All right? And then, you know, my only pet peeve with that is the garbage man never puts the can on the, on the grass again. He, like, sometimes I come home and it's in the middle of the street. But whatever. That's what garbage day is. So garbage day is take everything out of your house that is, you know, stinky, smelly, things that you have shown not to be important for you to keep in your house and get rid of them and put them at the curb for the garbage man to take away to never be seen again. Uh, I remember a TV show on um, the Discovery Network with the, with the guy Mike Rowe, and, and it was called, the show was called Dirty Jobs. So he, he would travel around the United States and he would get dirty jobs. Like things that were, you know, one time he had to climb into a cement truck and he had to uh, jackhammer all the dried cement around the drum when it stopped spinning. And, and that was a dirty job. So another dirty job that he did was they put something in the garbage on purpose. And when they put it in the garbage, the dirty job was to go to the garbage dump and try and find the thing that they put in the garbage. And they spent hours upon hours tracking to where that truck dumped that piece of garbage and then figuring out where that, whatever it was, I think they had put some piece of jewelry in there, wherever it was, they kept hunting and finding and hoping that they could find it. And 
they didn't end up finding it in the end of the episode because it was just in a place with so much other trash. Like, there's not one time in my entire life that I have thought about what throwing something in the garbage and then going to the dump and, and trying to figure out where that is so I can get it back. Like, in my mind, and I don't know about you if it's in your mind, but when, when you put something out at the garbage day, you don't want it back. You fully expect that that is going to the dump for you to never see again. And this is what Josiah started to do with Judah. You see, his father and his grandfather set up all of these idols. Manasseh was so bad, and Amon was so bad, they used to sacrifice children to gods by making them walk through fire. Uh, things were so bad in Judah and Jerusalem that this idol worship had completely taken over and there was no glory being given to God. Well, that's why God sent Zephaniah and other prophets to, to call them back to their position with God the Father and the covenant that they made. You see, garbage day is getting rid of everything in your life and never seeing it again. That means getting rid of idols, things that we give higher attention and authority over God. Get rid of it. Purge it from your life. If you want to find passion and excitement and joy, get rid of those things that are killing your love for God. Just throw them out. Don't keep them. Don't hide them. Don't put them away where they can creep back in. Get rid of them like garbage day. Look what Josiah does. Verse 4, they tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence. Imagine standing there. Get rid of it. Throw it away. They tore down the altars of Baals in his presence. The incense altars that were high above them. He chopped down the ashram, the carved images, the molten images, he broke into pieces and ground to powder and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed them. You see what he did there? Destroyed everything to never be brought back and rebuilt up. Verse 5, he burned the bones of the priests on the altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. Josiah even got rid of the people that were leading the way to idol worship. Hmm. Well, hey, guess what? Sometimes there's people in your life that steal the passion that you have for God. And sometimes relationships need to be changed so that you can keep your eyes focused on God. I'm not saying burn them at the stake, folks. But sometimes we have to evaluate the people that are in our lives that steal our joy and passion for the Lord. Why do we want to be around that? Why do we want that to infect us? We want to keep our eyes focused on Christ. 
We want to be passionate. We want to be on fire. We want to be gospel-focused in all we do. And sometimes there are people that distract us from that. And they consume us. And they overtake us. And it's not good and it's not healthy. All right, let's keep going. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars and, the, and he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even as far as uh, Naphtali and the surrounding ruins. He also tore down the altars and beat the Asherim and the altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now, he didn't just wipe this out of the city. He wiped this out of all surrounding areas in Judah. Uh, this was a huge undertaking to get rid of all of the garbage that was distracting people in their relationship with the Lord. He got rid of it. He wiped it out. He just didn't wipe out the images and the carved things. He got rid of the people. So everything's been removed, and then this becomes the third part of what we need to focus on. So for you, looking to ignite your love and desire for God is get rid of the garbage. Just remove it. Let's look at what the author of Hebrews tells us about garbage day. He says, therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Three things the Hebrew author tells us. One, get rid of the junk. Get rid of the sin. Garbage day. Second, run with endurance. How do you do it? You fix your eyes on Jesus. So the passion that we have will come when we get rid of all of the stuff that is smothering that fire. All right? We've got to add things to, into our lives that ignite that flame. All right? So get rid of the garbage purge all of the idols and things that we have in our life and begin to focus on the next step. All right? So verse 8. Now, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 34, verse 8. In the 18th year, okay, so 26 years old, Josiah is now 26, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, uh, the house of the Lord, Idols were in the house of the Lord, folks. Um, Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Messiah, an official of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, he sent them to repair the house of the Lord of his God. So after they got rid of all of the garbage that was in the house of the Lord, these men were sent to repair or to rebuild the house of the Lord. Do you see how it starts? One, you seek God with all your heart. Two, you purge the garbage that's in your life. And three, you begin to repair. And you repair, not with plaster, 
not with putty or any of those new pieces of drywall. You, you repair with the word of God being the foundation of your life. Now, now watch what happens as they begin to repair the temple. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Jerusalem and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they gave it to the hands of the workmen who had oversight of the house of the Lord and the workmen who were working in the house. They used the money to restore and repair the house. Okay, so we've seen that a couple times now, repair and restore after breaking down. They in turn gave the money to the carpenters and to the builders and to, the bu- and to buy quarried stone, timber for couplings, and to make beams for the houses which the kings of Judah had to let go to ruin. Uh, the men did the work faithfully, and the foremen over them to supervise were Jahath and Obadiah, and the Levites, the sons of Moriah, Zechariah, Meshullam, and the sons of the Kohites, and the Levites, and all who were skillful with musical instruments. They were also over the burden bearers and supervised all the workmen from job to job, and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. You know what's crazy is through all the time of Amon Manasseh, uh, a, a long period of time, and we'll see the period of time in a moment, through this long period of time, they neglected the house of the Lord and it began to fall into disrepair, but it was filled with idols. And as they purged, they realized how bad the damage was and they began to rebuild the house of the Lord using the money that was collected by Manasseh, the grandfather. So there was money in the temple, and they used that for repair. Uh, Look at verse 14. When they were bringing the money out, which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law and that the Lord had given to Moses. So everything that we see in Exodus and Leviticus, um, all of the, and then Deuteronomy, this book with the commandments of how to approach a holy God had been lost in the rubble. (laughs) You wonder why Judah was in problems of idol worship is because the book of the law was lost. Uh, This book that was lost in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17, verses 14 to 20, uh, the instruction was that the king was to write out the law and carry the law with him wherever he goes. The moment he sits on the throne, the first task he is to do is write out the law that God gave Moses and carry it and never depart from it. For 57 years, the book of the law was not in the hands of a king. Do you wonder why the nation fell into idol worship? Do you wonder why they moved away from the presence of God? Because they did not have God's 
word. You see, the whole point of the law, yes, it has the Ten Commandments, but it tells us in the law how we can approach a holy God. It talks about the righteousness of God, and it talks about the things that we must do to make atonement for sin. All of these things were lost, and therefore the focus was all on worship of idols. Their love, their passion, their desire for God was gone because they were not connected to the word. Do you see it? This is the very thing that we're talking about here. That when we don't have a relationship with God, there is a disconnect. And the disconnect is from God's word. It it is as simple as that. Well, Hilkiah, verse 15, responded to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah uh, gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and reported further word to the king, saying, everything that was entrusted to your servants, they are doing. Hey, they're building the temple. They're doing a great job. They emptied out the money, which was found in the house of the Lord. They delivered it to the hands of the supervisors so they could keep building and restoring the house. And then it says, moreover, the scribe told the king that they found a book and they gave it to the king. Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. Now listen to what happens, Josiah. He's already been seeking the Lord since he was 16 years old. He's been purging the land and now he's repairing the house. He is following in the footsteps of of his father, David. He is a man who is after God's heart. He is following in the path of obedience of God. And when that book is read and written to, read to him, it says in verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He went immediately into a position of repentance. God's word has the power to knock us on the ground and realize how unworthy we are to be in the presence of God. Well, Josiah, he needed to find out more about this book. He sent the king, and he said in verse 21, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found for great wrath of the Lord, which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to what it is written in this book. Why? Well, for 57 years, that book was missing. So his grandfather and his father were not obedient to God's word. And Josiah realizes that wrath is coming because of their disobedience. So they go, verse 21, they inquire of the Lord. The king had told him to go to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Toketh, the son of, Har- of Hasra, the keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. They spoke to her and she said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, behold, I'm bringing evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the curses which are written in the book which had been read in the presence of king of Judah. Why? Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger 
with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and it shall not be quenched. The message of Zephaniah of repent or wrath is coming has been read and they understand that they have followed after false gods and that has brought God to anger and judgment. And there is no quenching of this judgment. Verse 26, but to the king of Judah, but to the king of Judah. I love the word but in the, in the Bible. It either has good or bad after it. Uh, this time it's good. Uh, but the king of Judah, who sent to inquire of the Lord, thus will say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard. Listen to this. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself against its inhabitants, um, and because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Uh, do you see it? The heart, because of the heart that he had for Judah, because of the heart that Josiah had towards the word of God, that God found favor because he humbled himself. You see, God's word transformed him. God's word brought him from a high position to a low position when he realized that judgment was coming. And so he got rid of all of the garbage and began to repair and focusing on God's word. And so he would be spared the judgment that was to come. It would be shortly after the life of Josiah that Nebuchadnezzar would come into town, a part of three sieges, taking Jerusalem, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, back to Babylon, the destruction of the temple, and 70 years of captivity. But Josiah would be spared from that. He would die before that took place. But look at Josiah, what he does here in the final few verses. The king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from greatest to least. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book. <laughs> I just love this. Can you see it that Josiah, he was seeking the Lord at 16. He began to purge the land and then he began to repair. And he is transforming and turning a nation around. Moving them from a focus of idol worship and their own desires and their own passions and getting them into a position to focus on God. This is Josiah, the eight-year-old king that is doing this. The, the son of Ammon, the worst, and the grandson of Manasseh. It's not like he had the greatest examples before him. 
He did see some change in his grandfather, though. But here he does. He, he reads the words of the book with everybody. And it's called the word of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood in his place, and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep God's commandments, his testimonies, and statutes with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and to perform the words of the covenant of this book. Do you see it? He put all of his heart, all of his soul, into being obedient to God's word. He made all who were present in Jerusalem, Benjamin, to stand with him. So all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they did according to the covenant of God. They were obedient to the word of God. Josiah removed all of the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel, from all the lands um, in Israel, and he called them to serve the Lord their God. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is why I believe that Second Chronicles 34 is one of the greatest revivals in Scripture. Also, Jonah, as we've looked at in previous podcasts. But look at what the basis is. Do you see the basis for the revival? Where did it start? It started with the word of God. You see, it was the word of God that brought transformation. It was the word of God through Zephaniah. It was the word of God that was found in the ruins. It was the word of God that was read and Josiah tore his robe and humbled himself before God. It was the word of God that they made a covenant to be obedient to. It was the word of God that changed the nation around. It was the word of God that brought passion to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. That throughout the entire time of Josiah's life, these people were in full-on pursuit of God. It's the foundation, people. It is the foundation for where our passion and the fire will be stoked. There's no other place. There's no other quick fix. There's no other book written by any other author that has the power to do what God's word can do. And so you see, it brings it back to the very question we started at the beginning to wrap all of this up. What is your relationship with the word of God? You see, if you, if you are apathetic to the things of God, let's start with looking at your relationship to his word. God wants to speak to you. God wants to interact with you. God wants to show you truth but you've got to open his word. You've got to study his word. And it's absolutely pivotal for you to understand that Precept Ministries is here as an organization founded by Jack and Kay Arthur with the purpose of teaching you how to study the Bible using a simple method called inductive Bible study. 
through the process of observation, interpretation, and application, in which we offer free training, and we have Bible studies galore on our website that you can, you can pick up and you can study. Maybe you are studying through the 40-minute Bible study, Ignite Your Passion for God, and you're listening to this podcast. The reality is, the tool is right before you. The tool that can begin to ignite that fire that you have for the Lord. The tool of inductive Bible study is going to open God's word in ways that you have never seen it before by just reading. I promise you that when you begin to use this method as a regular part of your study, you will have light bulb moments in God's word like you have never seen before. Like the day I sat in Chattanooga in the very back row like the good Baptist I am at the men's conference and I saw Bob Vereen making his way through 1 Kings chapter 13 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34 in the life of Josiah, there wasn't a moment that I was gripped, not gripped, by what I was hearing from the word. And light bulbs came on for me when Bob Vereen drew attention to seek, purge, repair. Do you know how many times I read that passage? I preached on that passage in my church in the 18 plus years that I was serving as a pastor. I walked teenagers through that because of the ages, 8, 6, 8, 16, 20, 24, you know, 26, all of these ages to show that Josiah was a young man who, who walked in the ways of the Lord, but I never saw the three connectors, seek, purge, repair. And when Bob showed that in the text, my eyes were open, the light bulb went on, and I said, this is it. This is the process. This is the way that we ignite our love and desire for God. But first, we've got to seek. You see, when we seek God and we do it through his word, he shows us by the power of the Holy Spirit the things that are not right in our life. He shows us the things that we need to get rid of. And then he calls us to purge those things from our life. He can't purge them for your life. We purge them. The Spirit can show us and bubble them to the surface, but we got to get rid of them. And when we get rid of them and we get all of those things that have drawn our attention and our focus, what do we got to do? We got to repair. We've got to rebuild the house. We've got to rebuild our relationship with God on God's word as the foundation and the sole focus with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And when we do that, that fire is going to be impossible to put out. Father, we thank you for all that you are showing us in the scriptures. Lord, specifically for these three key words that came out of today's uh, episode, seek, purge, and repair. This is the call in our life, is to seek you first, then to get rid of all the garbage. And when we get rid of all the garbage, rebuild on the foundation of your word and how you call us to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. But Lord, we need you and your Holy Spirit to bubble those things to the surface, to continually convict us in the areas of our lives that we have these idols that consume us. 
that things that draw our attention away from you. So Lord, I pray that uh, even in, in the time that after people hit the stop button on this episode, that you would still be working and showing those things in my life and in their life. That we would have a greater passion and desire to follow after you. Why, Lord? Why? Because Josiah was able to change a nation. And even though we may not be in places of leadership, we have the ability to change a nation one person at a time by showing them the process of seek, purge, repair. So we thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.